our consideration is growth to success. And this is from Benjamin Franklin. And uh, Benjamin Franklin writes, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. And, uh, and so you never, and particularly from a believer's point of view, you never see yourself as having arrived, right? The Apostle Paul says, not that I have already attained with the result that I don't have to grow anymore. You never get to the point that you say that I've arrived. And if you get to the point where you said I've arrived, it's apparent you haven't. <laughs> the moment you say that, it's a, it will be apparent that you haven't. Because there's nobody here, as particularly as a believer, who will ever reach a point where we can say that we've arrived. And so that's an interesting thing. So we come to our messages on glory to glory. And uh, we've been talking um, last week about how the believer can actually uh, glorify God and a way to glorifying God. And it's the offering of your body, a living sacrifice. We want to focus on uh, the next several messages talking about the body that we're going to have. And so we're being transformed now from glory to glory. Um, And so... I believe that transformation is going to actually reach its crescendo at the rapture in which we're going to get glorified bodies. And so we want to look at what those glorified bodies are going to look like. I I know in the world, I mean, I listen to some of the most ridiculous things that uh, unbelievers say and you just shake your head like reincarnation. I mean, who wants to believe that you will leave this life and come back as an ant or a maggot or whatever it is that you see yourself as being. This is some of the most silly, crazy nonsense. I mean, and, and so this is what you see in the world, these kind of crazy, nonsensical views of what happens after life. I, I've not seen, as I've lived this life, anyone give me an insight outside of scripture that makes any sense about life. And so the Bible, and I always tell people, the Bible answers the question of how we got here. The Bible answers the question of what we're doing here. The Bible answers the question of where we're going. Show me any other book that can say that with certainty. And there isn't any. And so we see that the Bible tells us that what's going to happen to us when we die and what's going to be the result at the rapture. Now, I want to tell you, and we're not going to deal with it in this message, uh, but just as a point of fact, when you die, and this is for the unsaved, and I hope there's no unsaved in here. When you die, um, you are, your soul and spirit leaves this body. Death is separation. And your soul and spirit will leave this body. Now, you know, God has a sense of humor. He lets people say whatever they want to say this side of death. And what's funny to me is it's really kind of comical because they don't even know what is happening, going to happen at death. Some of these people who are talking about death have never been there. But they talk about it so forcefully, like they know. They've never been there. And they're telling people what's going to happen and all of this craziness. But you're not going to be floating around your house. You're not going to be floating over Titusville or wherever, you know, looking around like aimless spirits looking for a place to inhabit. No, when you die as an unsaved person, according to Luke 16, you're going to get a temporary body. 
And you see that very much in Luke 16. That man, when he was in Hades, he had a body. Send Lazarus to come and dip his finger in the water and come and cool my tongue. Right? Because I'm tormented in his flame. When you die as a believer, you're going to get a temporary body. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5. Right? That we, we get these... Um, these, these bodies that are going to be temporary until the rapture. And so there, are no, there is no such thing that when you die that there are disembodied spirits. And so people have said, I have seen grandma sitting in my house at the, bed of my, at the, uh, at the bottom of my bed. Stop drinking. <laughs> Stop looking at stuff that is suggesting things to your mind. You have not seen who you thought you saw. Now, the mind is an interesting thing, and I don't think that we know the sum total of everything that the mind can do. But I know that you didn't see Grandma. I know that for a fact, because Scripture says it. There is not one person that has died who is floating around here aimlessly. And the only thing floating around that you might have seen may be demonic. And I hope you haven't been seeing that. I hope you haven't been seeing that, you see. But when you die, we get these temporary bodies. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But after you die as a believer, you get this temporary body and now you're in a fixed location and you're in the third heaven. Right? And then what happens after that? The rapture occurs. And so when the rapture occurs, you're going to come back with the, with the Lord. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first, right? And then we're going to be changed. And guess what? There are some people who are not going to die. Maybe this group here will be part of the people that won't see death. I know that that disappoints you. <laughs> you guys are really waiting to see death, I'm sure. Um, but there's going to be a group of people who are not going to see death, and their bodies are going to be changed instantaneously. And we're all going to have new bodies. Anybody that you get, um, before, if you die before the rapture, it's just a temporary structure. And, it's going to, and that's what really keeps people in a fixed location. And it's, isn't it great to know that people that you know that have died before are not hoovering over your house, wouldn't that be a frightening thing? If you knew that the loved ones that died before are following you around, they're watching what you do at work, <laughs> they're following you around. You remember that movie back some years ago called Ghost, mm -hmm. right? And that kind of foolishness. But that's what people believe, right? They believe that the person, once they die, I know, I understand, Sophie. <laughs> Uh, it's, I don't understand why people believe it, but they do. <laughs> She's wondering about that. But on ghosts, the people that die, uh, they believe that the person had control over whether they were going to take over another person's body. And all of this, this is all superstition. And it's not rooted in any, any facts. And so when you look at scripture, you see none of that. None of that. But what we do see is that when, when you and I... <clears throat> uh, at the rapture, see the Lord Jesus, and this is what we're going to focus on today, is that we are going to see him face to face in all of his glory. And why? Because we're going to be changed. And we're going to be like him. We're going to have a body like him. And that's going to make all the difference in the world.
Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to uh, revel in the truth from your word about the, what awaits us as believers. There are a lot of um, mocking people who say things and they mock what's coming in the future. They have no idea. They've never been there. They don't even have control over their own life. They don't know when they're going to live or die. You're in control of all of those things. <clears throat> so we're thankful <clears throat> of the promises that you've made to us as believers that we have the promise that we're going to have a body that's going to be changed and it's going to be an amazing body and we look forward to that in your son's name we pray amen and so we find ourselves in first john chapter three in first john chapter three and that <clears throat> the believers are going to get a new body and this body is going to be a glorified body it's going to be reflective of the sun. And may I say, it's not the S-U-N. And you say, well, why come it can't be the S-U-N? Because the body that you're going to have and what it's going to reflect, it's going to make the S-U-N look like nothing. And so that's why. And so notice we find John over here in First John. He's talking to the believers here at Ephesus. And there was some misunderstanding in this church. You have some uh, people that were Gnostics in the church. And they were teaching a lot of things that weren't true. And so you have a lot of third class conditions in this book. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, quite a few. <clears throat> and why? Because he's, he's asking or he's telling different scenarios. That if a person says this or a person says this then this is what you can conclude. And so uh, then he gets to chapter 3 and he says this, <clears throat> Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us <clears throat> that we should be called sons of God. Now we'll come back to this because um, that's really not a good translation and, and we'll see that it's actually more emphatic than that. And now notice he says, Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Um, uh, I think it was, um, um, oh, what's the woman's name? She sang the song, We Shall Behold Him. That's just one of my favorite songs because um, she talks about we shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. We are going to see the Lord Jesus face to face. And when you understand <clears throat> that you're going to be able to see him in his glory, and that was not something that the Apostle Paul could see or anyone else after his resurrection. It's just going to be an amazing sight. And so John holds this specter of what's going to happen in the future. And he starts with verse 1 and he says, What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Now, I told you <clears throat> that there is a problem there. And in verse 1, it's, the word sons there, you know, it's funny. When the, the word actually is sons, they translate it, children and what is children they translated sons sons here is not really the, the the best word that is the word that is used there it's actually the word technos or techna now why is that important and it goes to the point that john was talking about i mean excuse me um, don was talking about this morning about eternal security 
It's the word born ones. It's an affectionate term that John uses to tell you that you've been born into the family of God. You are now in the family of God. And there is no one that could ever change that. You have been birthed into the family of God. Now, you, you could be birthed into a lot of different families and you could bring a lot of the times you can bring your family shame and they would wish that you were not in the family. But they can't change it. You know, people used to uh, laugh at my father all the time because we had 16 kids in our family. And I, one of the jokes that one of the pastors in town said, he says, you know, Jeff, if you threw a rock on that house, Jeffries will be coming out for days. And he says, yep, but they will all be mine. <laughs> they will all be mine. And do you know, from God's point of view, that's true? That that never changes There's no one, not even you, that's going to be able to change that. And so notice down in verse 2 is where we want to draw our focus. He says, Beloved, now we are sons of God. Say word now, you have um, an adverb of time, which is really important in translation, because he's not telling you in the future. He's not telling you in the past. He's talking about right now at the time that I'm speaking to you. Right now. We're not waiting to become children of God. You are right now children of God. Ones who have been born are birthed into his family. And so the word uh, children there, let me just show you a couple of places where you see that used. uh, Because it's really used very uh, in very important passages concerning the spiritual birth into the family of God. You've been spiritually birthed into the family of God. You are just like one of his. Or you are one of his, let me say. Let's look at some places where you see this used in Romans 8, chapter 16. Romans eight Now notice Paul in Romans 8 chapter is trying, is really showing the believers about the the security of what we have in Christ. And notice he says in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So there's nobody I I would think that if you are in Christ, that you're thinking that you uh, have grace in order that you can live according to the flesh. Well, people might think that, and there were some that back in Paul's day, and he warned them about it. And here's the warning, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, or if you conduct your life after the flesh, you shall die. Or back in Texas, is what they say, you're fixing, right? That really would be a good way to translate this. If you live and conduct your life according to the flesh, you're fixing to die. Why? Because the, the, the father is not going to allow you to just do whatever you want to do. And so as a father, he's going to treat you as a, he would a son. And probably part of that is going to be that his will ends for you on the earth. But if you live through the spirit and do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, really, actually, sons there is actually translated correctly. It's the huyas, 
This is the mature sons of God. Verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption whereby we call, we cry, Abba, Father. See how much you are in the family of God? This is an affectionate term that many would translate, and rightly so. This is what you could say to God the Father, Daddy. That's affectionate. Right? You know why? Because you're his children. And notice he says, And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, notice, born ones of God. That we've been born into the family of God. See that word children? It's our word. It's the word techna. And it's um, that you've been born into the family of God. And so, Notice in Ephesians 5, 8, you see a similar thing said about the believer being in this family. And as a result of being in this family, then you have the capacity to walk like one who is in the family. Now, you don't see it much today, but back in the day, there was a big thing with regard to families is that you would not do something if you were in a family to embarrass the name of the family. Anybody remember that? Right? If you embarrass the name of the family, you were mud. And so that kind of kept a lot of behavior under control. And uh, I mean, you would say, I mean, people would say, you're a Jeffrey. Jeffreys don't do this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and, and that really kept a lot of behavior under wraps. And so you see, God is saying this uh, through the Holy Spirit to these believers at Ephesus that because you're born ones of God, you and I ought to walk like born ones from God. It ought to be manifest in our life. And so he says in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now you have these these, um, bad people that are in the church. They're mature sons. And really, of disobedience, really, you could probably translate that. They're unpersuadable. They're unpersuadable. I, I really wonder if these guys who are in the church, who are trying to duplicate what God is doing, um, my, my question, and I've not ever had this answered, are these guys, can they be elect? I tend not to think so. I tend not to think so. I think that they're being man- manipulated by Satan, and I wonder. Notice in verse 7, Be not there ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as born ones, are really children, techna, walk as born ones of light. In other words, you walk manifesting God's life and activity because you're his children. You belong to him. And that's what we really should be reflecting. Is that he's our papa. We should look like him. And so it used to work that way on on the opposite side, right? When you would, um, when you acted right and did things right. I mean, they said, oh, yeah, you're Reverend Jeffrey's son, aren't you? And then you could you could actually say yes. <laughs> when you weren't acting right, you said, what? <laughs> no. 
But, right? Because you were lining up to the estimate of that family. And that's where you see that that's the case here concerning the Lord. Now, going back in 1 John, he says, we are now, right now, um, not in the future, right now, we are born ones of God. Let me just show you one other thing that proves that as we go back to 1 John and, and just stop over in chapter 5. And as Don would say, this is free. Uh, you don't have to pay for this one because we didn't include it in the outline. Um, in, in 1 John chapter 5, and, and this, this makes it a cinch. How can you say that you can lose your salvation when the, the Son is indwelling you, the Father is indwelling you, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you? So the moment that you were saved, here you see this happens in verse 11. He says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that has the son has life. And he that has not the son of God has not life. So let's just give you a visual picture of this. And I like the way Dr. Schaefer did this, one of my seminary instructors. Here's the son. The son has eternal life in him. Now, it used to be that when I was younger, they would tell you that you're going to wait to get eternal life in the sweet by and by, right? And everybody thought you were going to wait and it was going to be something you were... You have it now. Why? Because the Son has eternal life in himself. When you believe the Son came and indwelt you, giving to you eternal life, you have eternal life right now. Because you have been birthed into the family of God. And so John says, right now, we are born ones of God. And notice he says, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Now, I like what he says right here. <clears throat> it does not yet appear. And this word appear is an interesting word, and we'll deal with it later down the line <clears throat> in uh, point two, because it's going to be really interesting. He uses it two times here. He says, right now, he uses it in the indicative form, and then and later on, in the same verse, he's going to change to a different form. It uses it with the middle voice. And you say, well, what, what difference does that make? It makes a huge difference. Notice he says, it does not yet appear. That word appear is the word phoneros. Phoneros is, you have two major revelatory words in Scripture, and I'll tell you a little bit about this more as we get to the next point. One is that I can show you something, Right. And you may not know what it is that I'm showing you. Right. Um, I could grab something in here. You know, and just show it to you, manifest it to you and not explain what it is. And you say, what is that? You saw it. You may even saw may have even seen some characteristics about it, but you don't understand what it is. Right. The other word is the word apocalypsis. And it's not only that I show you something, but I cause you to understand what it is I'm showing you. Well, the first one is this word here, phaneros. He says, it's not yet been revealed or shown forth to the eye. Now, this is significant because when you look at yourself and other people look at you, they're not just going to look at you and say, "Why? I can just tell Troy is a son of God. Boy, just, you just see it in this smile, <laughs> in the way that he looks. It doesn't always compute that you can see with your eyes that someone is actually born into the family of God. 
It doesn't always look that way. And so this word phanaros has that idea. And let's look at a couple of places where you see this used. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> and it's just used of the Lord himself being manifest in the flesh. And so when the Lord was manifest in the flesh, do you know a lot of people did not realize who he was? A lot of the people, well, look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they talked to him. If, do you think that if they actually believed that he was God in the flesh, they would have talked to him the way that they did? They thought he was just a man. When they looked at him, they thought he was just a man. And so notice, you see why, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, they should have seen by the works that he did that he was more than God. And I guess, conversely, they should see by the way that we conduct ourselves, God's life and activity. If you were to just look at the person, it doesn't really appear that we are born ones of God. That's going to happen in the future. When we get our glorified bodies, it's going to be evident who we are. Right now, you can't see it. It's not clear. You can see someone, and sometimes you can even look at real believers, and because of the way that they're acting, you say, oh, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about that person. And it's a good thing that God knows, because sometimes I don't, even about myself, (laughs) right? And so it's not always manifest or clear who the ones are that are born into the family of God. And so going back to 1 John 3, he continues on this. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Now this is an interesting word, this word, what we shall be, isometha. It's only used three times, and in each of the times that it's used in the New Testament, it's used of the future resurrection body of the believer. The future resurrection body of the believer. And so this word, and I give it this definition, is to be existing, and it notes the state of existence of a person or a thing. And it's always looking at the future. Now let me show you, look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. Now here I think that this is pointing toward the future. It is true that we, are in the, we have been raised together with Christ and we're seated together with him, but also it looks at in the future that we're going to be like him, you see, as far as our resurrection is concerned. In verse 5 he says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, notice this future we shall be also, you notice that you have an ellipsis here, uh, which you see the italicized words there, it's not really in the, in the original. We shall be also, and fill in the gaps, in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, this is telling you something. He's pointing toward a future event in which our resurrected bodies are going to be like his resurrected body. And uh, as we talk about this, you just look at it in the future and what these bodies are going to be like, they're going to be glorious. You know, this body is governed by the soul. 
Paul says that the bodies that we're going to have in the future are going to be governed by the spirit. This is a, a body pertaining to the soul. The body in the future is going to be one pertaining to the spirit. I mean, can you just imagine the Lord when he ascended after his resurrection and he tells Mary, don't touch me now. I've not been ascended to my father. And the next thing you know, she's touching him. What, did she just ignore what he said? No, he could ascend to the father and back within a matter of seconds. Isn't that going to be a great thing? I think that's what we're going to be able to do. I think that the body in the future is going to have the ability to be able to be governed by the spirit and move at the speed of thought. And these people here on the earth are still trying to figure out a way to get to Mars. <laughs> They'll still be figuring it out after the rapture occurs and we'll pass whatever vehicle that they have going up. And that's what's going to happen. And notice you see this again in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> the same word is used in First Thessalonians chapter 4 concerning the resurrected bodies of the believer. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse um, 17. Now, this is just a lot here. We talked about it in the introdu- introduction about <clears throat> what we're going to be like in the future. And let's not waste uh, the opportunity to start at verse 13. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And so the believer grieves when someone dies. But particularly if they're a believer, our grief is limited. Why? Because we know what has happened to this believer and the fact that we're going to be reunited with them again. And so there's, you know, you have some people who say, oh, you should never cry when somebody dies. That's foolishness. The Bible does not say that. It says you grieve, but not like those who have no hope, you see. Uh, verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So you have those who died. They're up in heaven right now. Christ is going to bring those when he comes back with him uh, to uh, at the rapture. Notice what, what's going to happen is that there's going to we're going to meet them in the air. We're going to meet them in the air. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So he's answering a question here. What happens to those who die before the rapture? What happens to them? And this is the question that he's answering. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, or really of the quality of an archangel, with the trump of God, and notice, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So my mother, my parents are uh, buried. Their bodies are in uh, Oklahoma now. They have temporary bodies now that they're, they're dwelling in now. So um, their remains are in Oklahoma. So when the rapture occurs... Their bodies are going to be raised up out of those graves. Their temporary body is going to be set aside. And their soul and spirit are going to be joined with that body. And it's going to be changed. We see that from this passage. We see it also from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's going to be changed into a glorified body. And so notice he says, 
verse 17. Then we which are alive, or the living ones, hey, so there are going to be some people that don't ever see death. And you say, well, everybody's got to die. Well, Eli, um, um, come on. Yeah. Enoch, thank you. Enoch didn't die. You got that, Rick? <laughs> Enoch didn't die, right? He didn't see death, right? And so there, there are some who never saw death. I like the way McGee said it. He says, Enoch walked with God. And God says, Enoch, we walked so long. Why don't you just walk on into eternity with me? <laughs> and so there are some that are not going to see death. Then he says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. <clears throat> the word rapture there, it's caught up is the word harpazo. To be snatched away, which, again, uh, you have people who say that the word rapture is not used in the Bible. It's not used in the English, but it is there in the Greek, and the word is to be snatched away. And I've often wondered, in, in my cynicism, I think, is because believers are going to be so busy holding on to the world system, right? You see what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Remember when they went into Sodom and Gomorrah and told them that, they, that the land was going to be destroyed? Lot's sons didn't want to go. Even Lot and his family didn't want to go. Did you guys read right? this? No. I didn't. <laughs> Lot and his family didn't want to go. Right? I really believe, and this is my cynicism, I tend to be cynical sometimes, <laughs> that believers are going to be so tied to this world system, they're not going to want to let it go. Snatched away. Uh, in, in, with, uh, with them in the clouds the word clouds there is actually it's not talking about um, it has to be a cloudy day it's talking about people and you see it in uh, Hebrews 12 having been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses it's not talking about a rainy day he's talking about people and so a, 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 a gather, <coughs> caught up together with them in, the, in clouds notice and I would translate this and to a meeting with the Lord in the air. Uh, and to a meeting with the Lord in the air. And so there's going to be a meeting of all of the believers as we are snatched out away from here. And I think it's going to happen before we get out of the stratosphere. And I really believe that's where the beam of seat judgment is going to take place. It has to take place before we're presented to the Father. Because he's going to present us to the Father without splot or without blemish or any such thing. And he can't do that until the works that we did in these bodies are accounted for. And so notice he says, and here's our word, and so shall we be with the Lord. See that word, and so shall we be, is our word um, that's used over in First John, Somatha, and it's ideal of being in a state of existence with the Lord. And that's going to be our existence in the future. It's going to be a wonderful existence. The bodies that we have today, you know, they're, they're I don't know, I, I told people that Jack LaLanne has always been my role model, <laughs> right? He Remember Jack LaLanne? He was an exercise guru, and he exercised back way in the 30s, and and he and his wife had this exercise going on and the juicers and all of that. I don't do all of that. But even until he was 92, he actually was really in great shape when he died. And even at that, 
You go back to Genesis, and what does it say in chapter 5? You have the tale of, and he died. 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 It doesn't really matter what you look like. The greatest body on the face of this earth. You've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger lately? <laughs> no matter what you look like in this life, <laughs> the greatest body in this earth will not match what we're going to get to in the future. And so notice back in 1 John chapter 3, he says, but we shall, we, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, uh, we shall be likened, we shall be like him. And so notice this, um, whenever he shall appear, when, when he shall appear, it's, a, it's an indefinite uh, idiom. It's an idiom used that it's, uh, denotes an indefinite period of time. And so I, we don't know when it's going to happen. When is it going to occur? It could be any second that the Lord's going to appear. And you hear more people talking about the rapture today than I've heard ever before, right? They're looking for the glorious appearing of the Lord. I think that they're, they're counting it wrong and that they're looking at circumstances. I don't think it has anything to do with circumstances. I think the Lord could appear at any time. And so this idiom is, has this ideal of this indefinite period of time when something could possibly occur. And you see that used that way throughout the course of the New Testament. And what is the indefinite thing? When he might happen to appear or be made to appear. And here again, you have this word for phoneros, and it denotes the possibility of the son being made to show forth himself without an explanation about the things that are revealed. Now, why is this important? I told you that those two words are important and understanding them is important. Phaneros looks at the fact that he's going to show himself forth and he's going to manifest himself, but it won't cause to understand what's going on. When he comes at the end of the, the um, tribulation period, at the unveiling, the word apocalypsis, it's the unveiling of the sun. And he's going to show forth himself and he's going to cause people to understand who he is. That's not going to happen at the rapture. Not going to happen at the rapture. He comes for the church. We leave. He comes at the end of the tribulation period. It's going to be a totally different story. And we're going to see that. And so notice this word as it's used. It, it, it shows that. The, um, notice uh, it's used this way in 1 Corinthians 3.13. Corinthians 3.13. Of something being made manifest, but people not being caused to understand it. It just appears. And you look at it and you see it. But you don't understand why is it, what, what's going on here. And so it's used at the Bema Seat Judgment here. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. See that word for word, um, manifest is our word there? It shall be made apparent. So 
when you when you are at the bema seat judgment, you and I are at the bema seat judgment. Our works are going to be made to appear. I've often wondered how is that. I mean, it's going to be in pictures, or I mean, is there going to be a movie? I hope not. <laughs> what is it? What is it going to look like? I don't know, but it's going to it's going to appear. You're going to see it, right? And really not any explanation is given about it. It just shows itself forth, you see. And the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And so we won't, we won't have to really uh, defend our works. I mean, there will be no really, in some instances, there will probably be no defense for them. It's just be what it was. And so notice in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. You see this manifestation of uh, at the Bema Seat judgment, and I think it's going to be similar to what we just looked at, that when those works appear, what they're going to show forth is the determinations from the heart. Why we did what we did. Was it, was it driven by the Holy Spirit? Or did I just decide, ah, Kind of like Cain, right? Remember Cain, what Cain did? God had an order that he wanted, for a, a standard that he wanted from Cain and Abel, and it was a, it was a uh, meat sacrifice. And Cain brought the vegetation. So Cain said, I, I, don't, I know what you asked for, God, but I want to do it this way, right? And that's what happens many times, even in this dispensation. Notice here verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of the darkness. And notice, and he will make manifest, he will reveal, he will put on a display, as you would, the counsels of the heart. The word counsels is the word, the determinations, the determinations from the heart. Why did I determine to do this versus that? Why? And somebody says, and really I think this gets down to your motives. And somebody says, well, you know, you did this because of that. Well, you probably know my motives more than I do. I wish you'd help me because I don't always know why I do what I do. And I'm sure that you probably don't. But God does. And that's going to be brought to light. And so see this word for manifest, and so you reveal something. Now notice the other side of it, the word apocalypsis, is another revelatory word, and it emphasizes the unveiling of a person or thing that was previously hidden, coupled with the provision of understanding about the person or thing that is unveiled. And so notice you see the unveiling of hidden things as an example. Uh, well, let's look at if let's look at uh, Matthew uh, in ten twenty six as an example of that word and the word of apocalypsis. You know, that's the book of Revelation is is um, is that name? It's the unveiling, and that's what uh, the name is. And notice in verse. Um, the Lord is uh, telling the disciples in the future about the unveiling of things that are hidden now. And so notice in verse uh, 24, the disciples 
is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered. See that idea? Something that is veiled. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be made known. So there is something veiled. And when in this idea of uh, uh, apocalypsis, it's the unveiling of it. You take off the veil and you reveal what's going on. In, in, what's, in, in a, a circumstance. Let me show you one more time here in um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10. I gave you a lot of illustrations there. You can go look them up. We don't have time to go through each one of them. But 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. You see it used of the things God has prepared for those who are loving him. So God has veiled this to, I think, those who are not maturing. I don't think that some of these people, they, they, they're not going to get it. It's funny watching what's going on with the church because you, again, have this perception of the church that's not real. And you have a lot of religion going on is what you have. And these people think that they see and they don't see that they're blind as a bat. What was that Don said earlier that even Stevie Wonder could see this? Well, I don't even think that they could see what Stevie Wonder saw. Many people are spiritually blind. And so notice in verse 9. Well, let's go back up and get some context. He says in verse 6, Howbeit we speak a wisdom among them that are perfect. See that word perfect is them that are maturing. And so there is certain doctrine. Don talked about it this morning that it's the man of God, that the Bible is written for the man of God. I will take it even one step further. There is doctrine that is only written to those who are maturing believers. That carnal believers will never understand. And I see it right here. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the princesses of this age that are coming to naught. See, they translate that world, but it's actually there. It's uh, I own, if I'm not mistaken. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world. Notice why? Unto our glory. Which none of the princesses of this age knew it, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them. Really, he could translate that, that are loving him. Do you know not all believers are loving God? Well, how do we know that? Well, Paul, uh, John tells you over in 1 John, how do you show your love for God? Do you show your love for God for saying, I love you, God. Love you, God. I love you, Jesus. You've heard people say that, right? Do you know how you show your love for God? He said, tells you in 1 John, by loving the brethren. That's how you show your love for God. You don't have to say any other word, just love the brethren. Notice verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. So you see these things that were hidden 
And notice the word revealed. God has unveiled them. And notice to a certain group of people. He has, God has revealed, the word revealed. He has unveiled them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yea, even the deep things of God. And notice who is he revealing those things to? Those who are maturing. Those who are loving him. And you may encounter a lot of believers today, and I always do. And what's interesting to me is that they're stuck in the Gospels. They see nothing of the resurrection of Christ and the emphasis of his resurrection and the application of it to our lives today. They're stuck on Christ and his earthly ministry, and they've never grown from that. They've never grown up. And so you know what that is? Just baby talk. Da, 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 ma, 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 ma. Just baby talk. Is what it is. And so notice this unveiling. And, it's, and, you, and you see it used. And so the word phaneros is a very important word. When he says and when he shall appear. We're going to see him. He's going to make an appearance. And there's an unveiling that's going to occur later. But when he appears you're going to see him. And he's going to make this appearance. It's going to be glorious. It's just going to be, I just, I can see it now, right? It's just going to be a wonderful occasion. And so this word um, here is a compound form of phaneros, uh, and it's used in varying forms to emphasize the demonstration made by the sun's appearing at the rapture. And so let's just look at a couple of these. First um, Timothy uh, chapter 6 and verse 14. And so Paul uh, tells Timothy and he encourages him about how to do things. Why? It is the prospect of the appearing of the Lord. Not that we, 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 we are concerned that he's going to spank us when he gets here. But you know what it is? It ought to be that I don't want to disappoint my Lord. I want to be found doing what is well-pleasing to him. It ought to drive me. Notice here verse 11. But thou, O my God, O man of God, <clears throat> flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Now, how do you lay hold of eternal life? What, is it floating around in somewhere you can grab it? Well, as you live in your position in Christ, the Holy Spirit will produce it in you. Whereunto you were called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickens all things and before Jesus uh, Christ, uh, Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing and there you have it. The same word that's used by First John. When he appears, the manifestation of the Son, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what's going to happen later, who in his times, he's going to show, I, like, I just love this. I just, you might think I'm sadistic, right? <laughs> I just love this. He's going to demonstrate 
who is the blessed and only potentate. You know what that means? All of these petty tyrants that are running around here all over the world, he's going to show them who the real dictator is. Right? The king of kings and lord of lords, who only has immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto. That's what makes it significant, that when when we see him, we're going to be able to see him as he is in all of his glory. Why? Because we're going to be changed. No man can approach unto whom no man has seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And so you see this appearing of the sun. And so the believer's glorified body is going to be made likened unto the Lord's glorified body. Now going back into 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And so John continues, he says um, in verse two, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. See that we shall be again. It's that form of being a state of existing like him. And it's looking at the resurrected form of the believer. And what is that word like? The word like is the word uh, homeoe. Uh, of the same nature are kind and you would you could say resembling resembling uh, it's used to denote the similarity between the appearances of the Lord and inanimate inanimate objects look at it in uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15 Revelation 1 and verse 15 <clears throat> Verse uh, 14, he says, in his head, now he's, John sees an appearance of a vision of, this, of the sun, and he says his head and hairs were like wool. Now, this is not symbolic of anything that the Lord looks like today. As white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so this resemblance uh, concerning inanimate things that John saw in his vision of the second person, and there was a reason for it. And so there was a, there was a, a um, appearance that he saw in which there was a similarity between the appearance. And so what we're going to see is that the body, the resurrected body of the believer, is going to be resembling the resurrected body of the son. It's going to be like the resur- res- resurrected body of the son. And so you see this word again, um, this word for like, is again used in Matthew twenty two thirty nine 39 uh, to show the similarity of love under law. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. <clears throat> now here in verse 34, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they, were, they gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See the resemblance? And so the first commandment is resembling, or the second commandment resembles the first commandment. There is commonality 
and some of the things that that uh, that they have together. And so this idea of likeness, and we'll see this going forward, of the likeness of the resurrected body of the believer and the resurrected body of the Lord. And so it says we will be like him. We will be made similar to him, to that in which it is compared to which is the case. We will be made similar to him toward the advantage of the believer. And so this similarity will be to our advantage in which we will be made like unto him. Now, I want to hold that point, that third point, and we'll come back there when we uh, pick this up again and talk about the resurrected body of the believer and how we're going to be like that of the son. Not the S-U-N. There's something more brighter than that. It's the S-O-N, and we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to look at the prospect that we have as believers to be made like unto uh, your son. It's just a wonderful thing. It's a promise that is made to us that we did nothing to earn it and we could never pay for it. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it. And it's totally a result of your grace that you called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light. And as a result of that, that we can actually glorify you in the way that we conduct our lives here on this earth, reaching the final crescendo in which we will actually resemble the glorified body of your resurrected son. And it's just an amazing thing to think about. And we're thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.